This is The Good, the Bad and the Ugly of Writing in Academia, a podcast where three writing nerds discuss the joys and jitters of writing in a research context. So today's topic is revision, and it's kind of a big and broad topic, so we can't cover it all in one episode. No. Mm. Uh, but we have decided to take on a, a small part mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, to, to look at the big picture, at least, how, how you sort of, when you finish your first draft, uh, you need to uh, take a new look at it and, and polish it to make it, make it shine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... When we talk about uh, revision, is, is that, in your experience, is that a big job or a small job? How, how much time do you usually spend revising? If you... <laughs> a lot of time. It yeah. takes me forever. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, the main chunk of the time uh, I spend revising. Yeah. I find that I, I have a hard time writing and just letting myself write and then revising, I find that I'm much more the type of person who revises as I go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say that, I mean, the time I spend actually producing the real content is pretty small compared to the time I spend fiddling with the content. Mm. But but yeah, you do think, that yeah. sort of all the time. Yeah, I do, mm. I do. I, I have a hard time, which which isn't the best strategy. I should really, you know, let myself write when I want to produce content and then re- revise later, later when I've had a break. Mm. Yeah. But mm. um, That's the general idea I have as well. But then, <laughs> then you always sit there and, and try to... I know. And then, you go back and, oh, yeah. no, this, this... It's not very efficient. Yeah, no. no. Mm. But in, to I, be honest then, the majority of my time is spent revising. Yeah. yeah. I think I think we advised against that uh, in uh, earlier episodes or in a different episodes that yeah. we shouldn't really... I try to get stuff on paper uh, but I also have real difficulties doing that uh, I think it's because you know if you're a writing teacher you know a lot about the tips and tricks so you, you sit mm-hmm. there and you think okay this sentence didn't quite connect to the previous so I need to fix that and you do that as you go along it becomes uh, very much like a do as I say not as I do type <laughs> thing like I don't write this way but it would be better if I did so yeah. you should too so it takes me yeah. forever and mm-hmm. and revising is is uh, a big uh, part of yeah. that so I, I usually have this picture of an 80-20 rule for mm-hmm. writing. So you spend 20% of the effort producing 80% of the result, which is, mm-hmm. you know, the first draft. And, yeah. and then in order to make that uh, communicate as effi- uh, efficiently and effectively as you want, you have mm-hmm. to spend that extra 80% mm-hmm. to, you know, really make it uh, yeah. publishable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe that's not a very precise or accurate uh, numbers, but but it gives a picture at least that this is it's not a it's not a small thing that you do uh, just to correct little errors in the text. It's a perspective on the sort of write it up uh, yeah. <laughs> scenario yeah. where I'll write it up tonight. I've got everything in my head. I just have to blur, yeah. spit <laughs> it out on paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're going to talk about uh, some ways that we can use to to uh, make the most out of the revision process today. Mm-hmm. 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 I guess one thing I think we all agree on before we get started on the specifics is that we have to be willing to let a lot of our first draft go. Yeah. yeah. To yeah. not get stuck in, oh, but I spent so much time on this section. Sometimes it's just not something that is relevant anymore. And I sometimes use a quote, um, and I never remember it correctly, and then I Googled it um, yesterday. Uh, this sort of... I. Uh, 
I wanted to write a short letter, but I didn't have the time. Mm-hmm. So excuse me that my letter is is long, mm-hmm. but I didn't have time to get uh, to make it shorter. And I think Jenny, you said that. I think it was Mark Twain who said that. He he might have said that, but when I googled it, it you know there are numerous people who've said similar things. And okay. So there are so many quotes. And then I found one from Benjamin Franklin, uh, and it's on the home po- homepage quote investigator. And he said that he excused or Bre- Benjamin Franklin excused the length of his report mm-hmm. on the, this groundbreaking works so of the experiments on electricity. He said, "I have already made this paper too long, for which I must crave pardon, not having now time to make it shorter." And this this is written in the paper. Well, that's uh, how he excused the length when he sent in the paper. Ah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so when he submitted the paper, because I, I think back in the days people could write things like that in yeah. papers and get them published. But I, that's why I love yeah. reading old, old, old work. Is like it, there's the first person. There's this narrative style to yeah. it that we've totally moved away from. But that's not the topic of today. No, no. no. So uh, when you, I, I think revision it involves necessarily, I think, uh, or to a great extent at least, you know, getting comments from others mm-hmm. uh, to get an idea about where we need to put the efforts for revision. Mm-hmm. So why, why do we why do we invite criticism? What's wrong with us? <laughs> I mean, why don't we just write it once and be done with it? Make it perfect before you give it to anyone. You want to make sure that your ideas are as clear as possible, right? Yeah. Well, I think that's the problem, is that is that what I think is a clear expression of my ideas normally isn't as clear as I think it is. No. no. Because I skip stuff in my head mm-hmm. when I'm writing. Mm. And then mm. my reader is like, I don't get this. No, you think things are obvious because yeah. you know them. Uh, and then you also, I think, overestimate your reader. I think, okay, I'm writing for experts, at least in academia. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. We're writing for experts. Experts uh, usually uh, sort of compose the audience. And, and, and then you think, okay, they will surely understand this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when you ask, ask someone else to read it, you'll get the comments back. So I don't really get what you're trying to say here. <laughs> exactly. And then you get, yeah, it's maybe I should put some extra. Yeah. yeah. I think the other thing about that is that it, it might not even be that they don't understand it. It's that it takes a lot of mental energy to read something mm-hmm. and to follow an argument. Yeah. And if you are exper- if you're encountering something for the first time, you need more help than an expert who's really familiar with this exact idea. Mm. So... I think inviting comments is, is a way to sort of figure out, oh, here's a part where where I've made some leaps in my mind, mm. in my argument, that I need to help my reader follow along yeah, with. Yeah, but even experts will find, you know, will see those gaps or, or I find well, exactly. I have difficulties, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, mm. mm-hmm. Reading it. Yeah. Mm. So, but, but an obvious reason is, of course, that we, we invite criticism to get... To make the to improve the paper, I mean, we want <laughs> oh, to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So constructive criticism. But there is there is mm. another reason as well. I think uh, that's as important uh, because this is the stage of writing when when you get the feedback. Mm-hmm. This is when you have the chance to to reflect on your text in a deep way and, and learn parts of the craft of writing. Mm-hmm. So you should shouldn't see those comments from your friends as you know criticism. It's it's an opportunity for you to learn because every, yeah, every time. You go through the process. You Isn't that a yeah. nice thought, though? <laughs> it's like opportunities to learn. <laughs> this is not criticism. It's an opportunity to learn. But it, really, it is. Uh, but I, I think the trick there is to sort of, okay, uh, I'll leave this for a day or so, and then I'll look at uh, what 
my peer or my colleague or whoever you uh, sent the paper to mm-hmm. uh, said because you know you do get emotional a little bit and and, and in love with your writing yeah. even even first draft writing I think yeah. we sometimes or or particularly if you spend a lot of time and you really tried to make it mm-hmm. uh, correct or sound or flow or whatever uh, and then you know this person doesn't get that must be must be dumb mm-hmm. yeah sort of you know your reaction becomes that yeah. but I think on that note it's important to think. The earlier I get comments from other people, the less effort mm. and sort of mm. emotional energy I've spent to make this text really awesome. Mm-hmm. And then maybe the less attached I will be, the more it can sort of be like a collaborative development of a piece of writing rather than I've done everything I possibly can to make this perfect. Mm. And if unless you're just finding typos, I don't want to hear your comments. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can sort of get really defensive if mm. you've really worked hard at something. Mm-hmm. So... Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, so invite comments early. That's yeah, I think saying. so. Yeah. 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 In like early developmental stages of the writing. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah and I, I think when I was writing my first papers, uh, I was also very vulnerable to, to these comments. You get, you get mm-hmm. upset when you, 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 <laughs> you read the, the peer review comments, mm-hmm. you know, f- yeah. from these complete strangers. But, you know, looking back, you always, after you attended to those comments uh, the paper always got better so yeah. so so you there's a period when you're when you're sad and uh, you know upset <laughs> and then afterwards you say yeah that actually it, it improved the paper mm-hmm. so always it yeah. always improves the paper yeah so if you look at the revision process uh, it's sort of this criticism, if we should call it that, and typically comes in a in, in a few steps. Or maybe just comments. Comments, yeah. yeah. The comments mm-hmm. they come from mm-hmm. from uh, well. At first, uh, when you're sitting there writing, you say you go back and edit you edit oh the my text. God, all the time, yeah. So that's your inner critic yeah. uh, saying mm-hmm. that this is not good enough. You should go back and mm-hmm. and, and and then you hand it over to uh, co-authors, your supervisor, and that's when you're starting to edit the mm-hmm. manuscript, uh, letting other people into the process, and then. At the end, you get these comments that I was talking about, about from complete strangers, the, mm. the peer review process, mm-hmm. when complete strangers get to complain about your writing. Yeah, <laughs> and so. they do that very differently. I mean, uh, complete strangers can be rude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there are some rude reviewers, and then there are some really nice ones, and, yeah, and yeah. we deal with this in another episode, I think. Yeah. Mm. But, so th- but there's sort of a general pattern here that, that you, you move throughout the process from your own perspective on the text uh, mm. and then you move closer and closer to the complete stranger's perspective, mm. I mean the readers. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? This is... Um, so I recently actually went, I'm going through this, I'm, one of my colleagues and I are collaborating with a couple of other universities on a project and we're all working on drafting a text a similar version of the same text for different contexts right now. And and last week we were supposed to upload a really rough first draft. And some of the feedback that I got on that, or it wasn't, I, I didn't even write it. It was my colleague who wrote it. But some of the feedback that we got on that as a collaborative piece was, uh, was, was really nitpicky. And like, mm. I was like, Oh, I got really defensive right away, and and the person who wrote the feedback emailed us and was like, "I've made some comments. Don't get discouraged. Smiley face. Mm. If you have questions, you can let me know." Mm. And we're like, "But it's a draft. It's a really yeah. rough draft." This person mm-hmm. had done some of the comments were ended up when you look at them again. You're like, "Actually, that's we were going to do that anyway, but you've noticed it, so that's good." But some of them were like proofreading mm. comments. Mm. Yeah. So it was really difficult to sort of balance that initial reaction of like, oh, come on, mm. with no, 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 shh, wait. Mm. These are all legitimate comments. Mm. 
we're just gonna accept them as they are. Um, but the inner critic was going really mm. sort of on overdrive because it was like, no, but I was gonna fix all of those things. Yeah, mm. yeah. This was just a first draft. And yeah. this is so you get defensive. So I feel like I feel like one of the tricky things when you start bringing criti- comments in or asking for for feedback is is figuring out how to how to make sure that you're working on a similar level. Yeah. If it's mm. people that you work closely with, colleagues, mm. supervisor, mm. maybe someone in a different research group who who can look at it for a sort of more argumentational type stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, understanding what ki- what kind of feedback you're hoping to get at what stage. And and sort of articulate that. Say, yeah, okay, I'm not for looking for proofreading right now. Yeah. Uh, so I know there are tons of, uh, of errors, editing errors. So please look at the uh, sort of the general structure of the thing. The uh, give me some feedback, the yeah. ideas in, in it. So that's, and yeah. If you, and if you get comments like that uh, at a stage where you're not prepared to take them in, I mean, you can uh, yeah. you can just ignore them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know who who found this quote from from Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. I yeah, I found. I don't know how to pronounce that last name. Neil Gaiman. Gaiman. Yeah, cool. he wrote Coraline and. Uh, oh okay yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but I mean, he's a fiction writer, so yeah. it's a little bit different from uh, from how you. American Gods is another American one. American Gods. That's yeah, a great that's another great book. book. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Norse. Uh, Norse gods in mythology. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Mm. So, but he said that uh, the best advice I can give on this, I mean, revision is uh, once you're done to put, uh, put the manuscript away until you can read it with new eyes. Uh, so finish your story, print it out, then put it in a drawer and write other things. Hmm. Uh, when you're ready, pick it up and read it as if you've never read it before. Uh, if there are things you aren't satisfied with as a reader, go in and fix them as a writer. That's revision. So I don't think that that is irrelevant for writing scientific research articles. Because I think that going in to read it again as if you've never read it before. Mm. And of course, you know, we write with deadlines and we procrastinate and Mm. then everything is last minute. And that's Mm. a bad idea. So assuming that you have the self-discipline to, you know, write slowly over time, it's not unusual in my own writing that I will read something I wrote a long time ago, and unless it's been through revision with the help of other people, I'll read it and be like, I have no idea what I meant here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't follow my own argument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So once you just take a step out of that for even a couple of days, sometimes it can be enough to be like, wow, this makes no sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, so I, I think it's really good advice. Uh, but in my experience, you know, you, you, you usually write for a deadline and mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're procrastinating. Yeah. Procrastinating as best word in the world. Yeah. So, so <laughs> in the real so world, yeah. in the absence of having the time to put it away in a drawer and write another paper in the meantime, mm-hmm. uh, so, uh, those comments that we get from our critical friends they are crucial. Yeah, indeed, uh, they are. And and I mean, even at, like you said, Jenny. I mean, even a couple of days will help you. So if you have that time, at least, or maybe just one day, you, yeah. you know, uh, sleep Make on it. That time, <laughs> Make that, Make sleep that. on it, and yeah. and read it again. Uh, Do something really confusing for a while. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or go I to find, yoga class. <laughs> I find beer helps. <laughs> yeah, beer helps. <laughs> Glass of wine. Mm. Okay, so we've talked sort of about this big idea of, of inviting comments, but mm. I guess maybe we'll move in a little bit more closely into the types of things that we can get help on in revision yeah. at mm. this level. So not so much at the sentence level in terms of polishing our no. language, because I feel like that's at least seven more episodes. Exactly. So yeah. we, we, can, we can do that. We'll let go of that for yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We'll come back to that But later. we'll talk about big stuff. So yeah. things about um, context, organization, binding of the text or the coherence of the text, and then the idea of metacommunication. Those are some, yeah. Yeah. some big topics. Yeah, exactly. mm-hmm. um, and we'll see if we come up with anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So context, I guess, is the mm-hmm. first one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You had something called the comic strip effect. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sometimes a- you know you get a, a draft uh, and you have the you have problems understanding what they're trying to, to tell you really, and uh, yeah. so I, sometimes I, I call it the comic strip effect. So the text uh, reads like a comic where the pictures are missing and you only see the speech bubbles. Mm-hmm. So it's it's you you yeah they tell you stuff, but mm-hmm. you don't you don't see. You, there's no context. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, yeah. you, there's some background information that's missing. Yeah. Uh, so it's 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 as if the author thinks that you have access to um, a lot of important information that is not explicitly given in the text. I mm. sometimes heard researchers argue on that note. Well, look. I mean, really, the results speak for themselves, mm-hmm. and it's not my job to interpret them and show how they fit together. Mm. If you are equipped intellectually and scientifically mm. to read my paper, mm. you should be able to do that on your own. Mm. Oh, and that's so different in different fields, though. I think. So. I mean, if you go go to philosophy I mean, to say it's not my job to interpret it, <laughs> <laughs> or in literature, it's like yeah. no, yes, that's, that's the only thing you do. That's yeah. the only thing you do. Yeah. Uh, so, but but then sort of to get that across, even in the hard sciences, mm-hmm. that really you know your job is to interpret. That's where you show your ethos to exactly. to use a big word. Yeah. You know your credibility in the field. I can make something out of these results mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. And, but uh, i mean even when you're just describing an experimental setup or the, the, the how you designed your experiment people mm-hmm. take a lot of uh, background information for granted but I, I think it's because sometimes you don't even know yourself that you have this background information or you don't reflect no. on it no. there are these tacit assumptions yeah. that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that just are there i mean some and sometimes we get stuck giving way too much context yeah, mm. I think I, th- I don't <laughs> think also we see in our academic writing course, yeah. you know, introductions that that bring in such a broad range of previous mm. research and mm. and I mean this is not what we see, but we always talk about you know it's not since the dawn of time man has been concerned about climate change. No. We're not doing that sort All of right, like okay. so that kind of context. for thousands yeah. of years this mm. has been developing. Yeah. But I think, you know, maybe maybe the pendulum swings too far the other way, right? Mm. We talk about that's too much context, scale back, scale back, scale yeah, back. Yeah, I think we're... It's I, not I was, relevant. But that, mm. that kind of context is, is yeah, I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Mm. But I, I think more uh, along the lines of, I mean, if have you ever read a technical manual for some technical gadgets mm. uh, where that's true. you're supposed mm. to, uh, you know, you know put the, the correct uh, time for an alarm on an alarm clock mm. and then you read through the manual and it's just impossible to understand mm. whatever do they mean. Why do I, th- I do this? How does this work? Yeah. 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 And I think, uh, you know, the clue, clue here, I think, is that we're operating on, on at several levels in, mm. a, in a sense. You know, the lack of context really relates to lack of binding that we're going to talk about later mm-hmm. or a lack of organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to sort of list lots of background, lots of context that you know, that, you know, in order to understand this correctly, uh, my reader needs to know everything that I've ever read. So I'm going that's to. That's how I came to this. That's how I came to this conclusion. So I'm going to list that in the introduction. Mm. No, your reader needs to know exactly what uh, he or she needs to know in order to understand why you say this next thing. So yeah. it's mm. sort of you know that's uh, that's the context that you're looking for. Yeah. Uh, how can you sort of how do you get from one sentence to the next? How do you get from one uh, one section to the next? I think that also sense. comes out in in. In, in later on in a paper too, not just mm. an introduction is not the only place. Not is mm. not the only place you offer context. Mm. Um, the best papers that I had that I saw when I was doing my PhD in chemistry were ones where at each step in going through the results and moving in the discussion, um, 
we did this thing, sort of a, a mini reminder of what's yeah. going on, how we arrived at a particular result mm. or why we're introducing mm. a topic now mm. to, to help the reader remember stuff that they've already encountered. Because mm. the reader's memory is short. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Mm. But, um, but on the but, topic of manuals, if yeah. I will say one more thing, I actually, when I was doing my PhD, was responsible for an instrument, a gas adsorption instrument. And the manual was impossible. Mm. And there was a tech support guy sometime, somewhere down in Florida. Mm-hmm. And, and we weren't under warranty anymore, so I don't think that I actually had the right to call him and mm-hmm. talk to him as much as I did. But I guess he was nice to me, and so I got a lot more out of him than his job required. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I actually wrote a whole chapter in my thesis on using this instrument, the theory behind it, how each experiment works and why, because I was just like, no, when I pass this on to the next person, I, they cannot go through the same frustration mm. that I had. But that idea of like writing a manual is not just the, or- the operations, it's the stuff around it. It's exactly. understanding why this step precedes this one, why we do this preparation. And that's thing. the kind of uh, you know, lack of context that I'm mm. talking about, because that engineer, mm. I mean, it's written by, uh, the manual is written by an engineer who yeah. knows how these things work. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't know that he knows it. I mean, it's just you know, self-evident for him. So it will give you these little, so press on that button and, and do this mm-hmm. and do mm-hmm. that. And, mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't understand what's behind that. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, very difficult to. And even if you take a general yeah. description uh, yeah. of something, uh, I, I came across this this summer because we were putting together a staircase uh, and got the manual from England and they had like a joint thing for several staircases, so several types of, and then, you know, uh, the steps, uh, one, two, three, and I got to step three and it didn't make any sense to me and the carpenter said, it doesn't make any sense. And it was in English and I was supposed to translate it into Swedish. Um, And so I got in touch with these people who produced the, uh, and they said, well, uh, well, step three, you actually don't have to do because that's that relates to another staircase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that's but, but, exactly the thing. I mean, yeah. there's Bang. information that's, missing that they just yeah. assume uh, that you, you it's, it's self-evident for you. It's but. self-evident because, you know, this type of, you know, you don't have that part. Mm. No, that I was looking for it. I didn't find it. So that's why I'm asking. Ah. But I think we get, we hear a lot this idea of like, oh, but everyone in my field understands this. Mm. You know, mm. the person, my, my target audience knows this already. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that's a reason to skip an important no. explanation mm. because sometimes the same word can have two different meanings in different fields. Mm. But also, sometimes it's just really nice as a reader to be like, to read an explanation of something you think you already understand and have confirmation, all right, we're on the same page, cool. Mm. So that idea of like, well, my audience is smart enough to know this already. It's not undermining your audience's intelligence to explain certain things. No. Because it also builds, you were talking about ethos earlier. Yeah. It yeah. builds your own ethos to mm-hmm. say, this is how I understand this, or this is the reason mm-hmm. I did this. It's valuable, I think. Yeah. And uh, even though you write for experts, some of the people that r- read your paper will be newcomers to mm-hmm. the field. I mean, they will be new PhD exactly. students. And, mm-hmm. and maybe people from neighboring fields who look into the literature there to you know, find out if there's any mm-hmm. interesting stuff going mm-hmm. on. So, uh, you, uh, you, uh, yeah, you, you can't as- assume that, that uh, people just know stuff because they should know because you know it. And once again, this is why we invite people to read because yeah. then, then we, because maybe we over explain stuff. Maybe we take in too much. Maybe, maybe there's too much context and then our critics will help us mm-hmm. uh, sort of negotiate that. Mm-hmm. I think lack of context in a general sense leads nicely into a lack of organization. So mm-hmm. that comic strip effect example that you mentioned earlier, I mean, can also simply be the pieces are all there, but the way that they're put together isn't the best mm-hmm. choice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so that's the next thing I think we can talk about of getting our getting a reader to help us understand have I built a story that makes mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. I have a I have a short story about that. Really short. A short, a short story. story. Not a short story, but a short story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that was my defense and my uh, when I defended my thesis. And in the sort of uh, one of the experts in the audience uh, asked me after, uh, so you have uh, these categories. Um, why didn't you just divide your chapters according to the categories? Uh, and I said, well, that was the spring of 2006. Because <laughs> I had already tested that. Uh, and it didn't work uh, for, for various reasons. Uh, so, you know, uh, it seemed obvious that I, I would do that, but it just didn't work. It didn't fit my story. Mm. Yeah, you have to find a way to present, to organize the contents yeah. in a way so that it makes sense to, to the reader. Exactly. So get back to that. It, it, it's not just about getting the contents there. It has to make sense to someone mm-hmm. uh, who tries to absorb what you're trying to mm-hmm. to tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but um, there are some some really, you know, obvious things that you could do. If, if you <laughs> if you come across a manuscript that is uh, or disorganized, uh, one the thing is that I mean, you look at the headings uh, yeah. and and are all the things under the correct headings? It's mm-hmm. it's, it's quite uh, common actually that I find parts that uh, have to do with the experimental setup under results mm-hmm. because they forgot to write that when they were writing the experimental setup. Yeah. Although, having said that, maybe, maybe uh, you know, this sort of short reminder that you were talking about earlier, Jenny, sort of, you Sometimes know, if that you, can be good. Yeah. yeah, in the results section that, you know, you just remind how you, uh, re- remind the reader how you obtained the results, how you got to the results. Yeah. So that's okay. That, uh, that's but not just like a general description of the experimental uh, setup. A, a big chunk of the experimental setup no. shows up under, under the... Run- that's no, that idea of like, okay. oh, I'm going to explain this part of it and it makes more sense to do it before the results. Yeah, but it also needs to be in the method section because the method section needs to be complete. Yeah, yeah, and, and because when you read a paper, you, you, maybe you don't read it from the start to the end. Exactly. I mean, no. maybe you, you, you're interested in the setup and then you want to find the setup mm-hmm. under the setup. All of the parts yeah. of that, yeah. which, yeah. exactly, is the right content under the right heading. So none of this, oh, by the way, uh, I need to mention this. Uh, and so uh, go back to the experimental uh, uh, section mm-hmm. and then add that, uh, dear reader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I sometimes find results under the experimental setup oh. as well when oh. they, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, that's more problematic. <laughs> Uh, And then if it still feels disorganized, I mean, you have to find some logical way to organize the information within each section. I mean, Mm. probably you thought about this when you were planning the paper, but maybe it didn't work. Uh, Mm. So maybe I have to rethink that. Exactly, like I had in the spring of 2006. Mm. And you you often come (laughs) back to this, uh, that, that you don't necessarily you don't uh, you don't necessarily explain it in the way that you did things or the way mm. that you thought about things when you mm. were planning the experiment mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. to sort of uh, find a way to explain it so it makes sense to the to decide what story you're yeah, telling yeah the storyline sort of decide yeah. on and that should fit uh, the problem uh, you're exploring or you know what you have to say mm. uh, so sometimes uh, it doesn't make any sense if you're going to say okay first we did this and then that didn't work out and then then we did this and that didn't work out either it can be that you can do it that way but uh, very often you can sort of go to what you can say mm. and that's not necessarily just the way you did it no no so we have this result we have a we, mm. we distinguish between our lab notes or our field notes mm-hmm. and what we write up 
and for an audience. Yeah, uh, really the structure of the article and the research process can be very different. Mm. Which is, I think, what's most discouraging to many young graduate students is like, mm. oh my God, look at how smart these people are. They planned mm. everything and it worked so mm. perfectly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, no, 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 that's not true. Yeah. Go talk to them, read their work. I mean, re- ask to look at their notes and right. you'll see that it's not at all like that. Yeah. But that is the difference between the research process and publication. Mm. Mm-hmm. It is, and it's okay. We need to underline that. It's okay. Yeah. It's not like you're fooling anyone. Yeah. Uh, it's just to make it clear, to make the story clear. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's really hard for us to do that organizational step ourselves. Mm-hmm. If, if we're stuck in, I, I did all of these things, mm-hmm. sometimes you need to get someone outside of that process to help mm-hmm. you see, okay, but this is what you came up with. So yeah. really probably you want to mention these things in this order yeah. because that's what actually fits what you found. Oh, that has happened to me numerous times. Yeah. 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 It, it happens a lot when you uh, talk to students. It can be difficult to convince them that maybe you should move these things around. So, but that's not the way I did it. Mm. No. <laughs> no, but it doesn't really make sense if you, if you, I mean, if you do it like this and, and then when they try it and they, they, they see the result, then they say, oh yeah, that's what's really... That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Practice so you have... non-attachment, I think. Yeah. Is. yeah. And it's, again, you have to try it. So uh, again, time mm-hmm. and like writing is a craft. It does take time. Mm-hmm. Do you work with, um, uh, I, I call it focus, focusing your writing mm-hmm. or I don't know if I just came up with that myself. Do we do that, Jenny? <laughs> Uh, I don't understand the question. So if you, uh, f- because that's, uh, we're talking about how you organize things without, within a section mm-hmm. or, mm. or a pra- paragraph, but, but I also, um, uh, you know, try to focus one paragraph on one idea. Oh, yeah, one, yeah. One mm. sentence, yeah, one thought, so you don't, because the, it, sometimes you find a paper difficult to understand because they mix mm-hmm. things up. They mm-hmm. jump all over the yeah. place. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I wouldn't say that that sort of jumping all over the place thing is is indication of sort of sophisticated thinking. I think it's more mm-hmm. messy thinking or mm-hmm. I haven't made the effort mm-hmm. to clarify what I actually think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one paragraph, one idea one, or one point. Yeah. yeah. And, and one sentence is one idea or one thought that contributes to that point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And building that sort of coherence at that level is... Uh, and once again, you know, this is... It uh, goes all the way up to the paper. One paper is about one conclusion. One big or, idea. Yeah, yeah, one big idea. Yeah. Yeah. And a piece of advice there is to sort of go through your writing and then try to say, okay, what is this paragraph about? And just uh, just write that in the margin. Uh, this is about... And if you find that it's about several things, then maybe you need to split it up. And actually, mm-hmm. that, that's a good thing. I, th- I think I may have mentioned that before, but it's a mm-hmm. good exercise. If you find a paper that you really like and mm-hmm. that you think is well-written, to go through the text and then make comments in the margin. So yeah. what, what is this paragraph about? Mm-hmm. And then what is this paragraph? And then you, you get from those comments, you see, ah, so this is how you structure mm-hmm. a paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my favorite things about um, the two-column format of a lot of engineering and science yeah. journals. So two columns, like two, two, two columns on the page. On the same so page. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have really short paragraphs yeah. and they still look like substantial paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> You yeah. know, if it's if it's if it's single column, if it's more like um, regular Word document format, you, you sometimes yeah. feel like, oh, this paragraph's way too short. I have mm-hmm. to have, add more stuff to it. Mm-hmm. But if you move into the two column formatting, it can be a little bit easier to to let things break across different mm-hmm. paragraphs. 
Yeah, no, no, but but this, I mean, in every writing course, uh, we stress this uh, stuff that, you know, you need, the paragraph should be one idea and preferably mm -hmm. a topic sentence. Topic sentence is like, you know, the sentence that really summarizes, in a sense, what that paragraph is about. And very often that's a sentence at the beginning of the paragraph. And then you really just sort of add to that, uh, add substance to it, uh, mm -hmm. the first sentence. You develop it so that you explain uh the reader will then understand uh, yeah okay so I buy this um, this first sentence said this and then I'm getting more uh, writing on that and yeah I think that makes sense so you're prepared mm. for what's, what's coming up yeah. so, so I wrote a book this summer called The Social Construction of Reality mm -hmm. because that's sort of moving into the type of research that I'm going to be doing now and it was the most wonderful reading experience I've had in a really long time because without fail every paragraph started with a topic sentence mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then they developed that idea. Mm -hmm. It was, it was so easy to follow their mm -hmm. argument. Mm -hmm. it, it, I, I agree with them. So it made it easier as well, mm -hmm. but it was just like such an effective use of that. So if you want to see a good example, mm -hmm. plow through some sociology literature and read the social construction <laughs> <laughs> reality. Yeah. And that's really interesting because it's, uh, I mean, it's a way of organizing your text. I mean, uh, mm -hmm. but it's, it's, uh, you could say it's a way of, Binding the text together yes. in, a, in mm -hmm. a way, so that mm -hmm. you you move from one paragraph to the next. You maybe you yeah. take a step forward. Yeah, mm -hmm. take a step forward. And so, so I think this we're is what we're going to talk about now. Yeah, so, yeah. binding. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and I love that because it's one of the most important things in writing. I think yeah. the transitions and it deals with what we talked about earlier. This sort of lack of context. If you start a paragraph and it doesn't connect to the previous, yeah, then the reader will okay. Why? Is he or she mentioning this now? Exactly. Mm. So I start to I realize why you th why there was a bit of confusion but, uh, because uh, context yeah it can mean this yeah uh, yeah. And, yeah this this is probably what context means yeah. mm. when I said lack of context in the beginning it, it means mm. just lack of uh, general background information or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I think I think this question of binding is something where we're getting someone else's help is really valuable. So mm -hmm. it's not actually wrong to to do the comic strip effect type approach, right? You mm. have a whole bunch of pieces mm -hmm. and you lay them out and, you, and then you start to figure out how they fit together. Mm. That's really hard to do in your head and, and getting stuck in that transition thing, like building mm -hmm. your transitions before you know where you're going can mm. be really difficult. Mm -hmm. But if you've got all the pieces and then you start to build weak transitions between them, then you can get someone to help you see oh, this is the way I need to explain this transition or this is the way I need to connect these two thoughts because right now they don't go together at all or maybe I need to move this piece from this section forward so that it ends up in a different section. Yeah. And here, I think, if you talk to your reader. Yes. Uh, if, you know, if you get your critic to actually sit down and, and go through the manuscript together and then you can talk to each other, that's the best way mm -hmm. because then you will have to explain uh, orally, you know, uh, talk to uh, a real person and say, oh, so what I mean or, or the reason why I bring this up is because of this. Mm. And then you understand, okay, so that's the sort of transition that I need. That's, that's, that's a funny uh, thing, actually, because when you, uh, these trans it's, I mean, transitions can be between paragraphs, mm -hmm. of course, mm -hmm. but it can also be, to be between sentences. sentences. So yeah. uh, you start a sentence referring back to the previous sentence perhaps or something mm -hmm. like that mm -hmm. and usually when you talk to people <clears throat> that comes quite naturally because I mean, yeah. you're sitting in front of a person you, you mm. see uh, you, you, can, you can read their their facial expressions so they're not getting what I'm saying so mm -hmm. so, so you, you take care trying to explain you know, where, where I'm coming from where I'm going and mm -hmm. motivating things mm -hmm. 
or you can negotiate it yeah. as you go along. So you see, uh, uh, you know, I, I look at you now, uh, you can't see this, but I look at Ivan now and, and then I see sort of your facial mm. expression. What is she going on about? What is what 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 is what is this? And then I realized, okay, I have to go back and I have to explain it mm-hmm. a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, so we we do that in the face to face conversation, but we don't have that luxury in writing. So no, we need so to be very you're careful. You're just talking to a piece of paper, or as you, like your and computer the paper can't doing, argue you know? back. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So then you sort of just uh, put ideas down on the paper as they occur to you yeah. and you forget about this so i don't know if it's if it could be a good idea to sort of imagine when you're writing that you're talking to someone <clears throat> i do mm-hmm. yeah i try to yeah. mm-hmm. i try to think of it as as some sort of conversational thing where i'm inviting feedback from yeah. the reader mm-hmm. i also mm-hmm. read my writing out loud to myself mm-hmm. yeah. oh yeah wonderful um, <laughs> <laughs> you see lots of things you, when you read you, it out loud Argue yeah. with yourself when you're mm. doing that as well. Well, I read to my dogs, yeah, yeah. and okay. my dogs mm. argue back. Mm-hmm. You know? um, it, it does help to sort of figure out. So maybe if I'm if I'm not quite at a stage where I think I'm going to hand a document over to someone else to read, I'll I'll try and do it aloud to. Because I find I can pick up on some of those awkward transitions, places yeah. where I haven't really figured out how things connect yeah. or are bound together. That but, way. So, but if you read a good paper, you'll find that there are lots of these transition mm. words all mm. over. I mean, there's a good chunk of the, the text is actually just transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and <clears throat> they're typically words like furthermore or on the other hand, mm-hmm. uh, contrary to this, mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And that, that you can use them to... <clears throat> To show that what you're going to say is similar to what you said before, you can start a sentence saying uh, similarly or likewise mm-hmm. or just and. Or, mm-hmm. And if you want to say that what I'm saying now is, in, you know, uh, in contrast to, to what I said before, you will say that, well, but or alternatively mm-hmm. or something like that. So mm-hmm. a lot of those words are just there to guide the reader mm-hmm. uh, yeah. from one sentence to the next to to understand where you're going with your arguments. Mm-hmm. I think a, tr- a thing to remember when it comes to using words like this mm-hmm. is um, it's not unusual when you don't have a natural flow of ideas in a paragraph. It's mm-hmm. not unusual to get stuck in beginning every sentence with a word like this. Mm-hmm. And that ends up actually working against you. It's sort yeah. of a rookie mistake. Or yeah. or if you sort of, you've, uh, oh, now I've detected these wonderful words uh, and oh, they sound they sound wonderful. Mm-hmm. We talked about, we had a, a episode on style and even you said that it, it's easy to get lost in sort of the the, the sound yeah. or what you imagine an academic paper is supposed to be mm-hmm. and of course however, uh, however uh, furthermore in addition, all, in addition yeah. all of those are great and they and they are typical of academic writing uh, and so so then if you see them and you think okay this is this is how academic writing sounds mm-hmm. I'm going to just throw them in there and and uh, you end up spending or using too many of them uh, I think I think the difference is when you use them because you don't have you haven't created a, mm. a, a good flow yeah versus or, when you use them because they mean something yeah. so mm. the way that yeah. you were talking about them moving was really you have a purpose to using mm-hmm. them and they actually convey relevant information yeah. mm-hmm. rather than I'm just throwing them in there because I don't know how these sentences work together yeah that's the, um, but, but no. you shouldn't overuse them of course I mean yeah. you, you you can easily yeah if you do it too much it will s- sound stupid mm. and if you do it too little people won't understand what you're writing so, no and I mean I mean, you can, yeah, you have other a sort of logical yeah and you have other ways of doing it so, so for instance for in addition and furthermore and all of those if you have a structure where you said there are three issues 
uh, or there are three concepts that need to be mentioned in this context. Uh, the first uh, concept is, and then, you know, you have the first concept and then the second concept is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to say in addition or furthermore or moreover uh, because you have that way of organizing things. So mm-hmm. there are different ways of organizing and you can do this. Also, you can link your sentences by starting your sentence with something that you just mentioned or maybe even use a word that sort of summarizes what you just talked about. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you can say things like, you know, uh, the problem with this solution Mm. is, Mm -hmm. and then you say, okay, so this solution was what I just talked about. So I'm telling you as a reader to understand what I just talked about as a solution. And then now I'm saying the problem with it. So I'm saying, okay, so now I'm going to talk about a problem. Mm -hmm. And and those types of uh, transitions are really effective as well. Uh, And I think, I mean, as you sort of learn the craft, uh, you pick up on those types of both types of transitions. So you can both use these sort of cool linking words like however and in addition. And you can also use these others. Uh, where you point back and forward and and say what uh, the next part is, basically. And the thing that you said about uh, you you, you could introduce, there are three concepts that we're going to discuss. Yeah. And that's really, I mean, it works as binding, but it's really a form of meta-communication. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we, the the last thing that we were uh, going to talk about today, actually. Meta-communication, that means... Uh, my my Latin is not great, but I think it means communication about the communication. Yeah. So, so is yeah. it like meta in any situation where you go meta, you go one level, level. removed from what you're actually doing? So yeah. 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 Or maybe explaining screen. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. A buzzword nowadays is uh, metacognition, right? Yes. So yeah. metacognitive capacities, like thinking about how you think. Yeah. Yeah. Or is it meta movies? Isn't that's a oh, movie, meta movies? Yeah, movie about a movie. <laughs> my my husband is a literature scholar, and yeah. he he's into this, so I'm not going to say anything about it. Meta communication in in a paper is actually what I think one of the most important things because mm-hmm. that is how you help your reader follow you through. Mm-hmm. Yeah what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. It's text that describes the text. For instance, so, if you say something like, "It is clear that." Mm-hmm. You know, then then you're, that's your comment mm-hmm. on how your reader should interpret this next one. Mm-hmm. To me, it's clear. I'm arguing that it's clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Better hope yeah. it's clear. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Do you have Do you have uh, any practical tips uh, for how to use meta communication? In uh, because I have this old technique that I've learned uh, a long time ago that I'm y- y- telling my students about. Let's hear it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the. Uh, it's sometimes it's been criticized because it can be very clumsy if you don't use it right. I, it, I call it tell, tell, tell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and it's actually my my brother's supervisor in, um, in Madison, Wisconsin, who told him about this, and then he told me mm-hmm. when I was a PhD student. Uh, it's about uh, how you structure a, pa- a paragraph. So mm-hmm. first, you tell them what you're going to tell them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the topic sentence yeah. we talked about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you tell them, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and finally you tell them what, the cho- what you told them mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. sort of drive the message home. I mm-hmm. teach this in the course called Communicating Science that I teach, which is about okay. oral presentations, yeah. where it becomes even more important because your reader can't control the tempo or the flow of information that they're yeah. receiving. But it, it's just as important as in a paper. I think the reason that people criticize this is that it it 
it feels it feels sort of um, patronizing to the reader. Mm-hmm. Like, just say what you're going to say. Don't mm-hmm. worry about that. And I think one of the reasons people feel that is because people do it really clumsily sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, you could have an overview. You know, in the first in the first section, I will present the methods that I used. In the second section, I will present the results. In the third section, mm-hmm. I will mm-hmm. offer a discussion. And in the fourth section, I will give a conclusion. Mm-hmm. Well, those are just your generic headings. Like, give yeah, me exactly. ideas. Exactly. Yeah. So when you get stuck in topics that tell them what you're going to tell them. It's mm. not about topics so much as it is over an overview of your idea or how the ideas fit together. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes actually meaningful and useful and mm-hmm. helpful to the reader yeah. rather so, than so a summary. I, when I, I, don't, I don't want my students to write like, like, like that either. Yeah. Something in the first section, we're going right, to right, say right, right, right. Yeah. And then we're going to talk about that. And what I just told you was, and mm. I mean, it, because it can be really, uh, you know, too obvious yeah. uh, to, to the reader. But, but if, if you do it in a way that actually is, there's a difference in those three kinds of times, time, 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 yeah. three kinds of tell. So the first mm. tell is a preview mm-hmm. to prepare the reader and the mm-hmm. second tell is, is the real substance and the yeah. third one is like a, it's sort of a, a summary that actually moves a little bit beyond and maybe synthesizes the things that they've heard. Yeah. Then it becomes really, I think, mm-hmm. elegant yeah. and mm. effective. I have an example here. I won't read the whole quote because okay. it's it's a bit long, but uh, just to show the general idea, uh, how I think it it can, it can be used. And uh, this is a, a passage that I borrowed from a paper by Sahu, Miles, Tross, and Leipertz, and it's it's a little bit involved, so I, I won't go into the technical details. But it's just about the structure. Uh, so this is about how to measure uh, fuel concentrations in the cylinder of an of an engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it starts uh, this paragraph uh, with this sentence. An additional distinct feature of this study is the use of a new fuel tracer technique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it goes on. This technique, which employs blah, 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 blah. And then they describe uh, the technique and its uh, benefits and drawbacks and, and so on. And then it, they finish this uh, paragraph saying... This technique clearly improves our ability to quantitatively measure in-cylinder fuel air ratio distributions in diesel engines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wonderful. So, so it really sticks to what you said, or, or it sort of follows what you said, uh, Jenny. It adds something in the conclusion. Because first, you know, you have an additional distinct feature of this study. So you're saying your, your meta comment there is that, okay, I'm now bringing in an, an additional distinct feature. I probably talked about one distinct feature mm-hmm. uh, before, yep. uh, and now we have an additional. And then you say the use of a new fuel tracer technique. So, okay, so we're going to talk about this technique. Yeah. Then the next sentence starts with this technique. So it really yeah. connects back yeah, to what you just... Binding. That's yeah. really good binding. Yeah. So, so And then you sort of uh, explain uh, the technique, and then at the end... This technique clearly improves. So you use that's meta comment. That's I'm going to tell you now that that's a good thing. This technique is wonderful in this sense, and it clearly improves. Is sort of this transition mm. adds to I I say a, an additional distinct feature of this study at the beginning, but then at the end I add to that by saying so you're interpreting it a bit mm. and saying that it clearly improves. So that's my reason. It's like sort of a mini conclusion. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not really just summarizing, tell them what you told them, uh, you know, line by line. I mean, it's it just, what I just told you is, is that this technique improves our ability yeah. to do this. And that's why so. I'm, you know, that's why I bring it up. Mm-hmm. And and then it says, it. I think it goes probably back to the uh, purpose of the paper, um, our ability to quantitatively measure in-cylinder fuel air ratio distribution exactly. in yeah. diesel engines, yeah. probably the main thing of the paper. Mm. 
I'm just guessing. But, but I think yeah. many many novice writers would would start with uh, d- describing the t- technique. This technique employs one methylnephthalene, blah blah blah. Yeah. And tell you know talking about what the technique does, but then they they won't uh, start with this you know introduction and finish with this driving home what is important about this paragraph. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that kind of meta communication is something that's. I think it's a great example because it's an additional distinct feature of the study. Wonderful. You know, that's when we talked about earlier, why do you bring up the stuff you bring up? And you tell your reader then in this sentence that, you know, this is the feature of this study, so it is relevant. What's the point I'm trying to make? Exactly. I'm not just giving you facts to do whatever you will with. I have a job as a writer Mm -hmm. to make these facts matter to you. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it actually starts, I mean, the whole paragraph starts with an additional distinct, I mean, it's, mm. it's also binds back. Yeah. Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. it's, so it's, it's, yeah, to, to, cause probably you talked about one feature before. Yeah. Uh, so it's, and I think, I mean, those types of transitions, uh, even within paragraphs. So I've dealt or I've studied data commentary. I said, that's how you sort of talk about figures. So if you have results in a text, you have a figure and then maybe a graph giving some figures. So typically you will say something like figure, figure one, uh, gives the results of some experiment mm. and that, and then, then you're ready to look at the figure as a reader and see the results. But sometimes maybe you want to put in like a mini uh, interpretation. Maybe not a complete discussion, but just sort of flag or, or bring up a, a, a point that you're going to touch on later. Then the reader needs to know, okay, now we're getting, we're getting into the interpretation. Mm. So the meta, sort of the transition there would be an explanation to this or mm-hmm. this suggests mm-hmm. or something like that and the reader is then with you and you need to have that at the beginning of the sentence because otherwise as you go you just assume that this is going to be about results in the figure mm-hmm. and if that transition to explanation or a suggestion for why this is so comes late in the sentence it's sort of like listening to a dialect that you don't completely understand, you know, mm. when you communicate. So here in Sweden, if we go to Denmark, we speak Swedish and then we listen to Danish and it's relatively close, the language. We can understand Danish. Oh, I can't understand Danish at all. <laughs> I think a better example for me, if I take my experience, would be Swedish and Norwegian. Yeah. Okay. So because yeah. Norwegians actually pronounce all of their right. letters. Danes swallow half. <laughs> True, but anyway, that makes sense. <laughs> if you know you're you're talking to a person like that, and you should really understand, but it's just a l- little, little bit off. difficult and a little off, and then you're about a split second or two seconds late. Mm-hmm. It's really awkward. It really interrupts and uh, confuses the communication, mm-hmm. and you don't sort of come up with what you're supposed to answer, and you know before two seconds uh, as have passed and that's too late. I think the big thing about meta communication that I see when I'm thinking about it is this is where getting someone else's input is most valuable mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because because um, organization, binding, um, context, all of these things can sort of, I think the, the meta communication is sort of the umbrella term that governs all of these other things. Mm-hmm. If I can explain how everything in my paper fits together Mm -hmm. and I can make it clear to the reader why we're following a particular path, then it's likely that my reader will understand where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I need someone else's help with that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm so in my own ideas and everything fits in my head. Mm -hmm. I just, you see it, right? It's Mm -hmm. like everything is fluid and and works in your Mm -hmm. brain. And then that we talked about earlier, or you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. I mean, taking this sort of amorphous jumble and turning it into some sort of linear communication, Mm. 
get someone else's help with it. Yeah. yeah. It can be a really early draft. It can be something where it, things are not very coherent. Just do it back and forth. Mm-hmm. Get, oh, I don't really, maybe these things work together this way. Yeah, you're right. I think I'm going to do that. And then you write it and then you send it back to that person. Yeah. But the trick is to know what to ask for. Uh, yeah. Sort of, you know, help me with the organization. Yeah. Help me with, do I really, uh, does every paragraph have one idea? Yeah. Do you see sort of, you know, clear statements at the beginning of yeah. what's going to come? Uh, and do you follow the paragraph through so that you can ask for those specific things? Because, yeah. yeah. uh, you know, chances are that your reader will just read through it and then look at the grammar. Hmm. Proofreading comments like you were talking about. Fixed yeah. commas. Yeah. Ugh. So just before we uh, wrap this up, uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about managing the feedback mm-hmm. as well. So we, th- we have talked about a few examples of, of things you can do, but uh, uh, the, it's, it, it can be quite a complex process revising a paper because it involves uh, other people than mm-hmm. yourself mm-hmm. and uh, not, not least from a time planning perspective. So uh, I would say that one great practical tip uh, uh, to make the revision process as efficient as possible you should make a time plan um, and inform your co-authors in advance that mm-hmm. there is a draft coming up next week. So <laughs> yeah, and then finish the some, draft. Some space Respect their own yeah. schedule. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. so because when you hand it over, uh, you're out of control and then it, mm-hmm. it could take weeks before you get comments if you haven't really prepared them for, mm-hmm. for what's coming up. So true. Uh, and another thing that I'm thinking about it is is that as we I think we mentioned this before as well that it's I mean it's important to get uh, feedback on all the different aspects of yeah. the text mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's not just the the editing that that you got for example uh, so you, you you talk about you know how you structure the whole text mm-hmm. and, and so on uh, so uh, invite comments early and, yeah. and, and and you know start talking about your paper with mm-hmm. your uh, supervisor or co-authors already before you started writing a draft so that you you can get an idea about uh, where you want to go together mm-hmm. with this paper mm-hmm. is that Oh yeah, yeah, that negotiation stage is really useful because mm. your ideas aren't organized yet. And mm-hmm. talking, we talked about this earlier. Mm-hmm. Talking through your ideas can be really useful. Mm-hmm. Even just having a twenty-minute conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, I'm writing this paper, and here's what I think I'm going to do. Mm. That yeah. will even give you. And then when you explain it, go back and write out, write down that explanation. Yeah. That's yeah. really important, so that you don't sort of you know just explain it and then forget about it. But just I talk uh, <laughs> from experience here. Uh, go back and write it down. Before and you get too attached. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then you can start putting together more substantial amounts of text probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then ask for comments at, an, at a later stage on, on maybe things that become a little bit more specific to, you know, how do these sections work together? How have I started to create good transitions between sections? Yeah. Um, what's my meta communication like? Where can I make things clearer? So you have and good. That's what we have been talking about today, yeah. really. I mean, the, the the big picture of how to you know yeah. get mm. a coherent manuscript, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then the next step uh, on is I mean, moving closer to the text and maybe doing that editing and, and polishing the language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I mean, we're running out of time, so we'll have to save that. For <laughs> really, that is episode. another episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, unless you have anything else to add at this point, any general points about revision? 
uh, a just, gajillion, but next episode. Yeah, but just really give it time. Uh, and so uh, usually when I teach writing, I say, okay, so you came here and you wanted to make uh, writing really efficient. Uh, now you're going to get all of these tricks and, and tools, and maybe you feel that writing will take longer mm-hmm. <laughs> when you're done with this class uh, because there are so many things to think about. But if you're organized, like you said, even if you set up a time plan, then maybe it will be more efficient. Yeah. Mm. When you're learning to do something, mm. it always is going to take longer in the beginning. Mm. And then you get better at it mm-hmm. and you streamline mm-hmm. and you figure out ways to do things more efficiently and then it will be faster. Yeah. It will be a little bit faster and better. That's so we'll continue to talk about this. Yeah. Uh, so until next time. Thanks for listening. Now go write something.